As we do evangelism right across the board, there's a challenge that we notice in churches. And by the way, this is going to be a dialogue. If you have, uh, I want to open it up to the floor. Um, one of the challenges that we see when it comes to evangelism is this thing called membership retention. Membership retention. In other words, there's a huge problem, especially in the North American division um, and right across the board, about members coming into the church. They're baptized. They come to an evangelistic meeting. Uh, prophecy meaning or, or, or whatever form of evangelism and then there's a high percentage of people actually leaving the church and so this is uh, will this be true in some of your churches yeah it, it's true and I want to show you the statistics in the next few in the next few moments and so this has been a challenge for us and so we've been praying we've been researching and we've been putting materials together and how to keep members in the church. In other words, closing the back door. And I'm not sure what church you go to, but we all have a back door in our church. People walk into the front door, and then the next few months, they walk out the back door. The next evangelistic meeting comes, they walk into the front door. Two weeks later, they're out the back door. And so we have this huge back door in our church that needs to be shut closed. Okay, that needs to be shut so that when people actually come into the church, they actually stay in the church. And so I want us to kind of have a good look and uh, I want us to have an honest look at what's happening in our church today. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is simply this, have we left the back door open? Now, I'm not sure what back door you have in your church, but have we left the back door open for people just to leave? And I'm speaking metaphorically here. Why do you think people leave the church? Get dipped and dropped, yes. No friends, very good. Boring. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to spice it up a little, right? Um, nurturing, okay, very good. No nurturing. Now, when it comes to people actually leaving the church, there's really no one single reason. But one of the things that we have found is that people actually leaving the church becomes a journey. In other words, it happens gradually. Um, and there are actually symptoms, there are actually indicators that you can pick up on that people are actually thinking and contemplating about leaving the church. And, uh, you know, we need that discernment, right? We need that wisdom to be able to identify and discern what those symptoms and those indicators are. And so when it comes to people actually leaving the Adventist church, there's really no one reason, but it's actually a journey, now, of course, we all know someone that, uh, um, that actually has left the church. Um, but let me show you some statistics here. These are the latest statistics. For every 100 new members gained, 49 eventually leave the church. That's, two, that's uh, the latest annual council statistics back in 2013 to 2015. So this is, this is recent. This is recent research uh, done by the General Conference. For every 100, 100 members, 100 people that come into the church, 49 actually leave. That's almost 50%. Now you tell me, is that a big back door or is that a big back door? That's a huge back door. Okay, 49 out of 100. Now out of the existing members, according to research... One in three will leave. And so the loss is even more when it comes to um, young adults, where they, according to this one particular survey, 70%, how many percent did I say? 70% of young adults actually leave the church. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, have we left the back door swinging wide open? Now, the research continues to say that only 5% actually leave due to doctrine. Now this is good news. In other words, the implication here is 95% of people leaving the church are for other reasons. In other words, when it comes to doctrinal matters, uh, that's something we really can't help, help changing, right? 
In other words, we can't help, you know, you, you can't change the doctrine, our belief system in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But when they did this survey, they found that at only 5% say that they leave because they disagree with um, the investigative judgment, they disagree with um, the gift of prophecy, or they disagree with uh, 1844, the heavenly sanctuary, or uh, they disagree with the Sabbath or the state of that. Only 5% actually leave because of doctrinal issues. The largest portion, 28% said that they left because they just simply drifted away. 28%. 25% cited a lack of compassion. Do you belong to a compassionate church? I hope you do. Because 25% say that they leave because the church is dead cold. Why are people leaving the church? 19% cite a moral failure. In other words, they, uh, a lapse of judgment and they felt judged by the church and then they leave and then they never come back. 19% cited moral failures, the reason why they leave church. 18% said they just simply did not fit in. They just did not fit into this particular church or to this denomination or to this belief system. Um, 14% of white people leave, according to this one survey. 14% felt that uh, there was too much of a focus on minor issues. Hope that's not your church today. Focusing on the, majoring on the minors. You know, little small stuff that are not salvational. Things that don't have to do with one's salvation. Um, and so, and so when, they, when they make a, a huge issue over something that's more of a preference rather than a salvational issue, you know, that church becomes very judgmental. And so a lot of people actually leave because, you know, you focus on the minors, you major on the minors. Um, what is the one thing that you notice about each of these line items? Yeah, it's about me, me, me. What do you think about, again, they say they drifted away, lack of compassion, moral failure, uh, not fitting in. Uh, focusing on minor issues. What are some things that you notice about each of these issues? Okay, there's, there seems to be a disconnect uh, between the members and those coming into the church. Anyone else? God is not mentioned. Okay, okay. The one thing that's common between all of these line items is simply this. These are not doctrinal issues. In other words, they're changeable. You cannot change doctrine but you can change these things. Yes or no? See, that's the good thing. You know, that's the good news. Look, you cannot change the state of the dead. You cannot change the Sabbath. But you can at least try to change the church from being a cold church to being a compassionate church. Right? So that's the one thing you can notice about all of these. These things are changeable. And remember, 95% of why people leave are because of these issues that are changeable in one's particular church. Um, the survey continues to note that one of the most significant factors in people leaving the church are the following. Number one, stressful events like leaving out of state. Uh, for those of you who have moved, you probably know and you've probably experienced by now that moving can be a very stressful thing. Yes or no? It's absolutely stressful. Financially stressful. Time-wise, it's pretty stressful. Um, a stressful life event. Um that causes people to leave is marriage or something happens in their marriage they actually go through a nasty divorce and as a result of that they find themselves just drifting out of church another reason why people often leave the church are significant stress factors one of them is divorce another another one is uh, death in the family um, that's another reason why people often leave the church uh, the significant matriarch in the, in the church, in the family, leaves, and they're the ones that's Adventists, and once he dies, or once she dies, they end up not coming back to that particular denomination, to that particular church. And throughout all of these stressful events, the survey actually finds out, found, finds out what does the church do during these stressful events? Here's a sad reality, nothing. You know, when uh, members go through these times of stress, the church actually does nothing or little to nothing. No one actually notices. There's no effort to reach out to them. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. 
Very few former members, though, are hostile toward the church. Here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. 58%, how many percent did I say? 58% say that under certain circumstances, they would be open to reconnecting with Adventism. Isn't that good news? Even though your church may have messed up, even though they've made a mistake, even though they were a little bit judgmental or they weren't compassionate, when people actually leave the church, they'll say, you know what? 58% say, you know what? I'll probably come back. I'll probably come back to the Adventist church. So there's hope. There's hope for those who have actually left the church. The question here that we often ask ourselves when we're studying member retention, what happens when a person joins a church? Now, let me just hear some experiences. How many of you did not grow up a Seventh-day Adventist? Just raise your hand. Okay, uh, just in a sentence or two. Uh, what was it like when you joined the church? What was your experience? Okay, they were, they were glad. If, okay, okay, there was more of involvement. What was your experience like when you joined the Adventist church? Okay, felt embraced into the community. Happy? I'm not sure how it was with you, but with one of some of the people that we talked and discussed with, those who joined the Adventist church, it's a whole new world for them. And for those of you who were not born and raised in the church, you will remember that, uh, that joining the Adventist church, it was a bit of a culture shock. Yes or no? Yeah, it's a bit of a culture shock when you join the church. And so we found out that, um, that a new person, a new member, actually goes through three phases. They actually experience three phases when they join the Adventist church. Number one is the excitement phase. The, we, this is often referred to as the honeymoon phase when they join the church. Okay? Um, and, and the honeymoon phase could last anywhere between weeks or months or even years. Uh, all is going well in Zion. But then the, after the honeymoon phase, there comes the disillusioned phase. Then they start really seeing the true colors of the saints. <laughs> then they start noticing there's actually politics in the church. And so they go from, they go from this, this honeymoon phase to being disillusioned. That's the second phase of, of what happens when a new member joins the church. And uh, depending on the culture of the church, and depending if they have right mentorship and discipleship, they go from this, from this, um, this culture shock to, to really... Uh, adapting themselves into the church, and then they find some sort of belonging. But I'm going to dwell on that in the next few moments here. So, so just remember that when a, when a person actually uh, joins the church, there are actually three phases, and I want to break each phase down. The first phase is the honeymoon stage. We all like honeymoons, yes or no? Yeah, we all love honeymoons. This is the honeymoon stage. And the honeymoon stage goes something like this. This is when the new members just passionate in the church. You ever been there before? I mean, they are just so on fire. They're telling, I mean, I mean, they hear the three angels' messages. You know, they hear about the health message, and they go from being a meat eater to a vegan overnight. And they go back and they tell their co-workers that Sunday's the mark of the beast. I mean, these guys are just so on fire. Yes or no? You know, some of you have been there. We've all been there at one stage or the other. Okay, that's the honeymoon phase. They're just so excited. Okay? Um, they have an idealistic view of the church. Um, I mean, like, when they study the Bible, everything's self-evident. They're like, well, I mean, I, mean, I mean, it's clear. The Bible says that the dead know nothing. I mean, Adventism is self-evident. And so they just, you know, they're just really experienced. They're having a revival experience. They in their lives. They're experiencing victory over sins. Um, and they find that um, members go out of the way to welcome them. And uh, they're just experiencing and they're just enjoying 
this nice honeymoon stage. But after the honeymoon stage comes what? The disillusioned and discouragement phase. Um, what does this look like? All of a sudden, they finally realize there's politics in the church. Now, you don't have politics in your church, do you? All of a sudden, they go from this, this honeymoon phase, and, they, and, and, and the longer they become Adventists, they notice that their family members are pressuring them. They're asking them more questions about their way of life. You know as much as I do that Adventism is more than just a set of beliefs. Adventism is a way of life. Yes or no? That's just the way it is. It's a lifestyle. Adventism is a lifestyle. We're not just, well, we believe this, believe this, believe this. And that's what makes our message, uh, our Adventist message, so peculiar, so unique. Because we're, we're not just asking people to, to confess and repent of their sins. We're asking people to make a ch total change of lifestyle. And that's what makes it very difficult, makes it very challenging. And so uh, during the disillusionment phase, you have family members questioning them and uh, pressuring them about their new belief system. Uh, during the disillusionment phase, our friends outside the church reject their new believers' faith. Friends inside the church are hard to come by. And uh, they experience guilt over reoccurring sins. And so when they go through this disillusioned and discouraging phase, the easiest step for them is simply to drop out. Okay, this is the very crucial phase. In other words, the easiest, the easiest thing for those that are going through a discouraging phase is to go back to what they once knew. Adventism is this whole new way of life. And, um, but through right mentorship, through adapting, they finally feel at home. And I want to talk about that in the next few moments. So what do you think the goal is in reaching new people as they join the church? First of all, the goal is to make sure that they are well discipled. What word did I say? Discipled. When you hear the word discipleship, what comes to your mind? You see, our goal is not just to make members. Our goal is to make what? Disciples, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole eth, uh, essence of Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and make what? Make disciples, okay? How are we to make disciples? By teaching, by preaching, by baptism. So the goal of the Great Commission is to make disciples. The method of the Great Commission is teaching, preaching, evangelistic meaning, and baptizing. Don't, uh, you know, don't, don't be mixed up the difference between a goal and a method. And a lot of times we make the method the goal. We think that the goal of the Great uh, Commission is to baptize people. And the goal of the Great Commission is not to baptize people. The goal of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Baptism is the method of making disciples. Okay? A lot of people say, well, the goal of the Great Commission is to preach. Yeah? The goal of the Great Commission is not so much to preach. It's to make disciples. Preaching is a means to an end. And so our goal as Seventh-day Adventists awaiting the soon coming of Jesus is to make disciples. We all know, all know this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. The Bible says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is how we solidify people. This is how we close the back door. But here's my question to you when it comes to discipleship. How did Jesus disciple? I mean, there's so many books out there when it comes to discipleship. But you can never go wrong when it comes to Christ's model of discipleship. So let me ask you, how do you think Jesus discipled? Okay, we've got to go on. He served. By example. He spent a lot of time teaching. Yes. Teaching and doing. Teach and do. Teach and do. Teach and do. Yeah, very good. Okay, he spent time praying. He loved. Okay, he ate with them. This quote that I'm about to share is a powerful quote. Okay, we want to dissect this quote. Uh, it's from the book Desire of Ages. He mingled. Notice what Ellen White says here when it comes to Jesus' form of discipleship. Here she says, for three and a half, for three years and a half, the disciples were under the instruction of the greatest teacher, the greatest what? The greatest teacher 
the world has ever known. Question, what makes a great teacher? Okay, in other words, he, Jesus discipled by being a teacher. But my question is, what makes a great teacher? Okay, Sp spending time and effort. I, I teach at Southern, so, you know, I have to invest myself uh, not only in class, but also outside of class. If I really want to, if I really want to make disciples out of uh, these students who's going to be pastors in the near, near future, I have to invest not only in their school life, but also invest outside of school. So yeah, very good. You want to invest in them? Anyone else? What makes a good teacher? Okay, you're living what you're teaching? Okay, because Jesus here was a great teacher. Okay? You're, you're actually doing, you're living it, you're not just speaking it. Mutual identification, very good, very good. So here she says, for three and a half years, the disciples were under the instruction of the greatest teacher the world has ever known. And I just inserted that, what makes a great teacher? Notice how this quote continues to read. She says here, by personal contact and association, Christ what? Trained them for his service. Now notice the linguistic do you think there's a difference between teaching and training? Is there a difference? He's, now notice here, by personal contact, he trained them. Okay? He trained them. Well, what, do you think, what do you think the difference is between being a teacher and being a trainer? It's, you know, it's, um, there's more to being a, you know, my conviction is as a teacher, there's more to being a teacher than just seeing your students from 10 to 11.30 every morning. You know, it, it, the, the whole, the, our whole education system is not compartmentalized, but it should be integrative, right? In other words, in other words, you know, there should be personal contact with your students outside of those periods, outside of those hours, okay? And so, and so there's, this, there's this harmonious development so there is a difference between teaching and training. Now notice what she goes on to say. Day by day, they walked and talked with him. Hearing his what? His words of cheer. In other words, you know, there's, there's dialogue there, there's teaching. Hearing his words of cheer to the weary and heavy laden, they not only heard, but they what? Is it enough just being heard? Is it enough just being heard? No. Your students must what? I think someone saw it here. You know, someone said it, right? They must see it. They must see it. Okay, this is what makes a great teacher. You know, a great teacher is not someone who can just come in and, and wow people with their great dialogue, you know, and their great didactic preaching or their teaching. But a great teacher is someone who they not only hear it, but they also see it. She goes on to say, day by day they walked and talked with him, hearing his words of cheer to the weary and heavy laden, and seeing the manifestation of his power in behalf of the sick and the afflicted. Sometimes he taught them sitting among them on the mountainside, sometimes beside the sea, or walking by the way. He revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Wherever hearts were open to receive the divine message, he what? He unfolded the truths of the way of salvation. He did not command the disciples to do, to do this or that, but he simply said what, folks? He simply said, follow me. Now notice what she says here. On his journeys through country and cities, he took them with him. You know, we've all been counseled to disciple. Jesus didn't just leave them in the classroom, but Jesus actually took his students as much as he can, wherever he would go. He took them with him that they might see how he taught the people. They traveled with him, and this is what I love the part. This is the part that I love the most. They traveled with him, from place to place, they shared his what? Frugal means. They shared his frugal means. And like him, were sometimes hungry 
and often weary. Have you, you notice, you see in the picture, there's no difference between the teacher and the student. They're all on the same level. You know, some, one preacher said, at the cross, the ground is level. You know, Jesus didn't pull rank and say, well, I'm the teacher, you know, and he spoke to them in a condescending way, but, you know, he shared his frugal fare and, uh, and uh, they experienced everything that Jesus did. There really was no difference between them. Now, this is the part that really is revolutionary when it comes to discipleship. On the crowded streets, by the lakeside, in the lonely desert, they were with him. They saw him in every phase of his life. They saw Jesus in every phase of his life. Now, this is why it's revolutionary. Could a discipled person say that about you? In order for someone to see every phase of your life, you must make yourself vulnerable. You've got to be transparent. They saw the discouraging moments of Jesus. They saw the disappointing moments of Jesus. They saw the tired side of Jesus. You know, a lot of times when we think discipleship, we just want our students to see the best side of us. We don't want them to see like the, you know, the, 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 the challenging side. But at every phase, they saw Jesus and his ministry. You know, when it comes to discipleship, I want to share with you some, some practical steps in getting people to stay in the church, getting people to be anchored in the church. I call this, I call this the seven Ps of lasting relationships. I hope you have a pen there because I'm going to go through down, I want to go through each of these seven Ps. If you just remember these seven Ps of building lasting relationships and um, establishing disciples in a church, you will actually get to close the back door of your church. Here's the first P. If you want to disciple someone and keep them in the church, the first P is pray. What must you do? Pray. When you see a new member come into the church, spend time praying for them. You know, Philemon chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, Making mention of thee always in my prayers. I have prayed for thee. You know, Ellen White tells us that when you, when you pray for someone, did you know she says, you should let them know. I mean, it says it right here. You know, um, when Jesus actually prayed for someone, he said it to Peter. The example comes out from Peter. He says, Peter, I prayed for thee. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful that after your morning devotions every morning and you've prayed for your grandson or your nephew and your niece and then you just take out your phone and you just send a text message and you just say, John, just wanted to let you know, just prayed for you. What would it be like on the receiving end? Just get a text message. I try to get into a habit of that when, I'm, when I was a pastor, even, when, even now when I'm teaching. Uh, if a certain student comes to my mind, I pray for them. And then when I'm in my office, I just send them a text. Michael, John, don't know what's going on in your life right now. Just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. Get into the habit of not only just praying for people, but letting them know that you're praying for them. Are you with me, Advent Hope? It, 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 it just it, it changes the dynamics. There's power in prayer. And so here... Philemon says, you know, the Bible says, you know, I will always mention thee in prayer. So pray for a person. That's the first step in, uh, in good discipleship, praying for them. The next step in uh, discipleship is person. In other words, it's not enough just to pray for them. Visit them in person. That's the second P. Okay, you can pray from afar off, but uh, try to find every opportunity you can to visit with that person uh, as much as possible. Suggest a weekly time and a place when you can meet and pray with them. One of the things that I love to do when I was pastoring and uh, people that I would, uh, I would share or I would uh, make sure that I'm discipling is I would meet with them once a week, maybe 30 minutes before Sabbath school. I'll let them know, hey, just meet me at church 20, 30 minutes and I want to spend time just praying with you in person. Uh, suggest a weekly time and a place when you can meet and pray for them. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they prayed with what, friends? 
they prayed with one accord. And so you really want to pray with your disciples. There are so many different uh, formats of praying. How many of you have heard of the X, uh, acronym of prayer? Adoration. Say it with me. What's the next one? Oh, Confession. Thanksgiving. And what? Supplication. Okay, we all know this uh, form of prayer. So you want to pray not only for them, but you also want to pray with them. Here's a bit of a caution when it comes to discipling. Be very careful not to take new members too fast. Remember, they're just simply babes in the faith. Okay? Uh, work with them at their pace. Be very, very cautious. Um, here's uh, the next P. What's the first P? Pray for them. And let them know that you're praying for them. What's the second P? Person. Visit them in person. Okay? Um, it's not enough just praying from afar off, but set a time every week when you can meet this person and physically pray with them. Here's the next P. Stands for phone. Okay? Use your phone to call them. Um, if they don't answer, leave a voicemail uh, with an encouraging thought. Okay, just pray for them, but only pray for them. Meet them in person, whether it be at church or Taco Bell or Subway or whatever it is. Um, find a place to physically meet with that person. But more than that, use your phone to reach out to them. Give them a call. And if they're not, uh, they don't pick up, leave an encouraging voicemail. Um, if you can, this is what I do sometimes, Text them a scripture. Text them an encouraging text. Um, and just let them know that you're thinking of them. Using your phone. Um, here's the next P. The next P stands for play. You know there's the old saying that says, a church that prays together stays together. But there's a continuation to that verse. Uh, there's, a, there's a continuation to that saying. A church that prays together and plays together stays together longer. And so, you know, it's not enough just to pray with them and send them, uh, send them text messages and calling them. You also want to socialize with, your, with the person that you're discipling. You also want to play with them. Um, find creative ways to socialize with your new friend. Um, if they enjoy camping, what should you do? Invite them to go out camping with you. If they enjoy hiking, what should you do? Enjoy, uh, you know, ask them to go out hiking with you. Um, if they're physically limited, just meet up for dinner. I remember when I was pastoring this one church, um, it was, a, it was a country church, and um, <clears throat> the average age of this church was 75 years of age. And I was only like 34. I had just come straight out of the seminary, and um, this particular conference assigned me this little country church in the middle of nowhere. And... Um, and I sat down and I was thinking to my wife, these guys, these guys are old enough to be my grandparents. Um, how do you socialize with 75-year-olds? And, uh, and, you know, and just by process of elimination, I knew there were certain things you can't do. No, we can't go camping. We can't go hiking. Um, and so I talked to the head outer and I said, hey, why don't we just invite the whole church and um, let's just meet at your house. Let's just have pizza. And um, I said, yeah, sure. So uh, one Saturday night after church, I would uh, get with my church members. We invite new members to come and they're all 65, 75, 80. And I was the youngest guy there. You know, we're sitting around, we're having pizza on the table. And I tell you what, I felt so out of place. Can you guess what the topic of discussion around, was the, ta around the table was? 
everybody was talking about the kind of medications they were taking. <laughs> that was the topic of discussion. You know? And uh, they was like, oh, what do you take? And I was like, well, my doctor prescribed me this. And I'm just sitting there like, this, this is interesting, you know? You know? But you know what? Uh, at the end of my time there, they appreciated the fact that their pastor actually socialized up there. And so, you know, you could be in a church, you could be in a district, you could be the youngest guy there, you could be the oldest guy there. Look, find creative ways to socialize with people. Amen? And it breaks down their barrier. And so all of these new folks that started coming to the church, even though they were twice my age, I would socialize with them because I knew I couldn't take them out camping. I knew I couldn't take them out hiking. But the best I could do was just meet around Saturday night Friday, uh, for pizza and, uh, you know, build a rapport and a, a relationship with each other. So if they're physically limited, go out for dinner or just meet with them at someone's house. That's actually the best place when you're socializing with them to share your testimony. Tell them how you became an Adventist. Well, more than that, tell them how you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. The walls have been broken down. They open up to you. They finally, make that, they finally build that rapport and that trust. The next P stands for pen. What does it stand for? Pen. Okay, let's go through the first one. What's the first P? Pray for them. Okay, and when you pray for your disciple, let them know that you're praying for them. Okay, what's the second P? Person, okay, meet them in person. It's not enough just to pray from afar off, but see if you can meet them at least once a week. And if they're busy during the week, at least meet them in church 20 minutes before Sabbath school. Just pray for them in person. Just say, hey, brother, I want to let you know, hey, sister, I've been praying for you for the whole week. Okay, I just want to meet you in person. Um, what's the third P? Huh? Phone. Use your phone. Okay, use your phone. Give them a call. This is one thing, a practice that I like to do when I'm traveling. Sometimes the Lord brings to my mind a certain person in the, in the church or a certain person I've discipled, and I just, I just give them a call. Just let them know how they're doing. Um, and so you want to use your phone. Then what's the next P? Play. Find ways to be creative with them. Find ways to socialize. And in the context of socializing, share your personal testimony, how you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. The next P here is pen. How can we use our pen to encourage and disciple people? Send cards. Send cards. Uh, this is a ministry that's uh, very, very powerful in, in church. Is using your pen to minister to people. <clears throat> what are some cards you could send? Isn't it just encouraging when you get a card, a personal handwritten card from the pastor of the church or from the pastor's wife? Not typed out, actually handwritten. I remember I was in this one, this one I just moved this into this one district and my wife and I, we had gone to do some visitation and it wasn't even a week and we came home and there was right there on our door a letter and uh, it was a letter welcoming my wife and I into the neighborhood. And it was a long written letter. And what really, you know, what really touched our heart, it was actually handwritten. Now come on folks, in an age of texting and typing, who handwrites these days? And so this really touched our heart because we knew whoever this person was, they actually took the time to sit down and handwrite a letter to us, inviting us into the neighborhood and welcoming us into the neighborhood. Come to find out, at the end of the page, it was the local Jehovah Witness Church. And I turned to my wife and I said, this is what we should be doing, you know? You know, this, you know, this is it. You know, it just, it just, you just have this feeling of like, wow, somebody actually took the time to write a letter to me, welcoming me into this community. So you can use your pen. Um, if, if, you, if you remember a birthday, uh, write a birthday card. Um, not only for their birthday, but also the birthday of their children uh, or the birthday of their parents. Uh, some of the things you want to remember when it comes to writing, using your pen for the ministry of God is thinking about their wedding anniversary. 
Okay, whenever I'm going into a church, I'm always thinking about these small little details in my member's life, or even those who I'm discipling. I think of their birthday, I think of the birthday of their parents, the birthday of their kids, but also think of their wedding anniversary. And so when their wedding anniversary comes, guess who sends them a letter? You do. Uh, another uh, opportunity that you could use to write a card will be graduation, yes or no? Absolutely. Okay, whether it's their graduation or whether it's their parents or their kids. Of course, you want to remember funerals and of course you want to remember certain holidays. If they were a veteran and they went to fight in the war, okay, when that day comes out of the year, when we honor our veterans, send them a card. Thank you for your service to this country. It just means a lot. It just means a lot when you could use your pen for the honor and the glory of God. Here's the next P, okay, in discipling and also in stabilizing people in the faith. The next P stands for PC. Or, I, or in other words, personal computer. How can you use your PC or your personal computer to communicating with people? Well, digital media is a fascinating thing, isn't it? And so you want to use digital media, email. You want to keep in contact with those who you disciple through email and Facebook. Look, uh, you want to be Facebook friends with them. This is what I have found when I have been pastoring. When it comes to communication, people have different languages of communicating, depending on the age range. There are some people that I've, that I've worked with, I'll call them, I'll call them, and I'll call them, and they won't even answer. But as soon as I send a text message, has this happened to you? As soon as I send it, they send a text message right back. And I'm like, okay, text message it is. And there are some people, I've actually text messaged, and I'll text message and I'll get no reply. I'll send a text message and they'll get no reply. I'll get no reply. But as soon as I give them a call, guess what? They'll pick up. And so they may not reply to a text message, but they'll actually reply to a phone call. People have different ways of communicating. There are some people that I've worked with where I'll send them a text message, I'll send them a text message, and I'll send them a text message, and they won't reply. But as soon as I send them a message, on Facebook, guess what happens? We find ourselves dialoguing over Facebook. And so I find that Facebook is a form of communication for some folk. And so in order to be an accessible pastor, because as a pastor you've got to be accessible to your church members, I find myself, you know, I pref pre preferably I don't want to have a Facebook, but I have to have a Facebook because some people, you won't get in touch with them unless they have a Facebook. Whereas with some folk, they're so old school. I had this one, um, I had this, uh, people came to us through email. I had this one uh, member in my church. She was so old school that she didn't know how to use a computer. She was my church secretary. And I would say, um, could you forward me the board minutes, you know, as I prepare for the next board meeting? She was like, well, I don't have a computer. And I was like, well, can you... Um, how, you know, how can, I get, how, how can you give me the board minutes so I can go for next week? Well, you're just going to have to come and pick it up, Pastor. Or she'll just send it through the mail, like, a, like written, like the minutes of the board. And so no email, no textbook, no Facebook. I'll have to drive halfway across town, pick up the board minutes. And you know, that was her form of communication. And so, and so, and so people have... Um, People have different ways of communicating, and so you want to find the way that, that matches the person that you are mentoring and that you are discipling. Now, if they have a Facebook page, send a Facebook friend message to them, become their friend, and if they put a post up, like it, even though it's a bit corny, but just like it. You know, when they see your like button, it's like, hey, there goes the pastor. You know, he likes my picture, he likes my photo. Um, but here are some things to remember when it comes to digital media. First of all, respect their privacy and their opinions. Please, don't use Facebook as a way to politically correct them, okay? Um, you're just there just to be their friend. Do not attempt to correct them via internet. Remember, they are still what? They are still growing. 
Okay? Uh, you don't want to be a policeman. So let's go through those six P's again. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? What's the play? What's the fifth one? Pen. Okay, what's the sixth one? Okay, using PC, using a personal computer. Here's the seventh and the final way of making sure that uh, you stabilize people in the faith. My favorite, potluck. Okay, potluck. I find potluck a powerful ministry in the church. Uh, if there's no potluck in my church, when I go in, I ask the deacons, please, let's just have potluck. Okay, uh, potluck is a wonderful ministry, yes or no? Yeah, how many of you guys enjoy potluck? Yeah, it's, you should, you know, it's, it's Adventist, you know, potluck. Um, but um, <clears throat> potluck is really a time where you want to sit down with people and get to know them. It's more than just the food. It's more than just the food. Uh, it's an opportunity where you could actually sit down with them and talk with them. You haven't seen them during the week. This is the one time you can pray for them and pray with them. And so potluck is that one opportunity. Um, of course, when it comes to potluck, you want to invite them to stay for lunch uh, as soon as they enter church. In other words, don't wait until the end of the church to invite them for potluck. As soon as they walk in the door uh, for Sabbath school in the morning, invite them, hey, would you like to stay for potluck? We have uh, good vegan, vegetarian food afterwards. Please stay, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more. So potluck is a wonderful platform in getting to know people and uh, discipling people. Um, when the divine worship ends, find your friend and walk with them to the potluck area. Okay, so please, again, potluck is more than just the food. Potluck should be intentional where you can get to know the other person. And uh, when you are sitting with them, how do you start a conversation? Okay, what do you do, where they were, okay, where they live? How do you, you know, I find, I know this, uh, I feel even, I feel a bit uncomfortable asking this question, but you know, there's some people, they have a hard time trying to spark a conversation. How do you start a conversation in, in, in the context of potluck? Go ahead, brother. Okay, yeah, over the food, it's like, hey, yeah, this good macaroni and cheese, yeah. Talk to me, guys. How, how would you start a conversation over potluck? Okay, which food do you like best? Okay, very good. Okay, ask them about the sermon. Yes, engage it. I saw a hand back there. Okay, yeah, family, pets. It's a good one. Anyone else? How many children? How many children? Yeah. Yeah. Here's an acronym I want you to remember. Okay, the acronym here is TOPICS. Okay, T-O-P-I-C-S, topics, okay? Um, you can talk about today's situation. You know, have you noticed, a bit, you know, have you noticed things are just getting worse and worse in the world today? Okay, talk about current events, okay? Now, be very careful, you don't wanna, you don't wanna tell them about where you stand on certain political issues. But you wanna, you wanna talk about current events. Have you noticed, brother and sister, did you hear about that murder that happened just the other day? Wow, you know, I mean, have you noticed things are just, Getting out, of, getting out of whack here. You can lead, and that could lead, you know, to spiritual things. You know, the Bible says that, you know, these things are prophesied in the book of Matthew chapter 24, and it just leads to one good news. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Okay, so, you know, think about topics uh, that you want to talk about that, reg that, uh, that um, are about today's situation. Um, o, talk about, ask about their occupation and their educational background. Oh, so what do you do? What school did you go to? Ah, I noticed you have a University of Tennessee shirt here. Did you go to the University of Tennessee? Ah, I see Loma Linda, Loma Linda University. You went there? You know, talk, you know people like to know about uh, being asked about their occupation. Okay, ask about their occupation and also ask about their educational background. P, um, ask them about the place they're from. So where are you from? Okay. You married? How many kids do you have? Now, these, are, these are questions that, you know, excite conversation. Conversation with you and the other person over the dinner table. 
Um, I talk about their interests. You have any hobbies? What do you like to do? Oh, I like to fix cars, or I like to go out riding, or I like to go hiking, you know? Or I like to collect coins or stamps or whatever it is. You know, be interested in the things that they are interested in too. Um, the last one, um, current events, kind of going on with like tea, current events, the news. Of course, you want to be up to date what's going on in the news today. Um, you know, talk about the current events that's happening, whether it be on social media or whether it be sports news, weather news, political news. You know, just talk to them about that. And of course, the last acronym S, can anybody guess what it stands for? Yeah, 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 that's true, spiritual. Share about yourself. Okay? Share about yourself. Or you can share about your church. Okay, how long you've been in the church. You know, what your hobbies are. How you became a Christian. Um, how you met your wife. You know, they'll be interested in a little bit about what you do also. And so as long as you stick to this acronym, um, you know, you'll be safe. You'll be on the safe side when it comes to meeting people. And not only in potluck, but also at the beach, also, um, you know, when you're driving or catching a bus. Here's another acronym you probably may have heard of. You've heard of the FORT acronym, right? Family, occupation, religion, and also testing. Ask them about their family. Ask them what their occupation is, what their religious preference is, and of course, um, ask them, like, you know, how, how did you become a Jehovah Witness? Or how did you become a Baptist? Or, or how did you become, you know, a Catholic? You know, or you can also share how you became an Adventist in sharing your testimony along those lines. So, friends, you know, there should be enough ample evidence, uh, enough resources we have today for each and every one of us to be faithful disciples for Christ. Can you say amen? You know, I hope and I pray that these, that these practical suggestions will aid you in sharing your faith with others. I hope and I pray that each and every one of us, as we leave this place, we leave this room, we'll be effective soul winners for Jesus. Let's bow heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we have a great work to do in preparing people for your soon return. I pray that as we take these simple, practical suggestions, may we use them to disciple others to anchor others in your church, this remnant church. And, O oh, Father in heaven, help us to be ready for that great and glorious day and help us to help others to be ready too. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.